Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So about nine or 10 months ago, I moved to the Tennessee Baptist Church Home, and it's a Christian-based facility. So every Sunday we go to church service, and every Wednesday we go to youth group. I was attending Vive for a couple of months whenever I heard about Vive Camp, and I knew I wanted to go, but I only wanted to go to socialize with friends. On the Sunday of Vive Camp, everybody was getting baptized, and while everybody was getting baptized, I noticed that I wanted a relationship with God. I went to a youth leader and I told him that I wanted to get saved and I wanted to get baptized. That night I got baptized and it wasn't a day after that the Lord started working in my life and answering prayers. That's the reason I'm attending Silverdale now and I know that I'm just so grateful for Silverdale and the student ministry and the camp that they offer because I know if the Lord can work in my life at the camp and the student ministry then I know that He can work in other people's lives. Amen. 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 What a tremendous testimony. And um, man, it's good to see all you guys. I, sorry, I just like calling people out. I see my neighbor Rodney back there. How you doing, Rodney, man? Always good to see you, brother. I know it's weird calling people out. Anyway, I love you guys and I see you all and I'm just grateful for you. I hope you're doing well. If you're joining us online, I want to thank you for being here as well. And um, at this time, I would just um, invite all of you, if you could, let's get out our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, Um, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to pick up in verse 13 and on after that. But um, what we're doing is we're continuing in our series that we have entitled To Gather, and we're talking about and we're looking at the importance of the church, the importance of gathering together. You see, I would say, and I say it often, but the church is a really big deal. To the Christian, church is a really big deal. It's important. And I think if I was to ask all of us here today, we would all, Christians, we would say, yeah, church is, it's important. Church is a big deal. I don't think anyone would necessarily argue with me, any Christian, about that. However, I do think that we might not all agree on what exactly important means. And that's where the discrepancy might come, right? I mean, some of us would say, you know, it's important, but maybe it doesn't rise to the level of importance where it's something that I need to put as a primary thing in my life. Others would say to me, it's so important. It is a prominence. It is a priority in my life. Now, I make no secrets about this, but I love the church. I love the church for many reasons. I love the church because it's in the church that I first heard the gospel. The Lord saved me in a church. I've grown spiritually in the church. The church has cared for me when I needed to be cared for. The church has loved me when I was a very unlovely person. I love the church. I love, I love the church. But the reality is, I think for many, and many of you would agree with this, but for many contemporary Christians in America today, church is kind of viewed kind of simply maybe as um, some sort of spiritual 
cafeteria, right? Kind of like a cafeteria, man. You, you go into a cafeteria, and in a cafeteria, there's a lot of selections, and you can choose and pick whatever you might like that might best fit your need, and you just kind of pick and choose. It's, they think church is kind of like a buffet. They want it my way. They want it on my time, and they want it right now. Am, you know, Amazon Prime, I think, has really influenced a lot of us. I think Amazon Prime. So some of us would like an Amazon Prime type church, you know. I'm like, I want my stuff. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit at home. I'm going to clicky-click what I want to clicky-click. And what I, it better be here in two days, and it better be on my front door. And so we kind of take that ideal into the church. Now, to be fair, the church is not completely innocent in all of this. The church itself sometimes seems to present itself as a buffet and kind of caters to that. But nonetheless, Jesus loves the church. Amen. So the question is this. How important is the church? How important is the church? Well, here's what I would say before we get to the text. Here's what I'd say. It is Jesus' desire for everyone here today listening to me or maybe watching or, or, or listening on a podcast, whatever, his greatest desire is if you were here, his greatest desire is this, that you would repent of your sins and you would call on Christ Jesus to save you. That is, that, that is his greatest desire. He wants us to be saved, right? That is his greatest desire. But I would say second after that, if you have repented of your sins and you have called on Christ Jesus to save you, I believe it is God's desire that every person be an active participant in a local New Testament church. That's how important I think the church is. Now, I realize at time to time, someone might come up to me and they say, I don't know if I agree with you, Travis. That's cool. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to agree with me, but I think if you study scripture, if you study the word of God, you're gonna see the church is a very big deal. And so we're gonna get into Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We're going to read some verses after that. We're going to go kind of verse by verse, kind of word by word, and we're going to see five truths about the church. I mean, it's in Scripture. It's there. Five truths about the church. Then you, you can read it. You can decide. Is it a big deal? Does God think the church is a big deal? Yeah. Let's look. Five truths. Matthew 16, verse 13. First truth is this you'll see the saving confession. The saving confession of the church. Pick up verse 13. Here we go. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Okay, so we got kind of the setup here, right? You got Jesus, right? He's with his disciples, and I don't know exactly what they're doing. I don't know if they're walking, if they're sitting. I don't know if they're just hanging out, eating. I don't know. But he asks them a profound question. He says this, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus uses the Son of Man referring to himself. That is Jesus' most common designation of himself. So Jesus is like, hey, guys, hey, guys, hey, guys. Who do people say I am? Now, he's not asking them who does his enemies think he is. I mean, he already knows that. He's asking them, hey, guys, what is the general opinion about me? What is the consensus of the populace? Are you walking down the street? Are you going to stop the average individual? 
and you ask them, who is Jesus, what would they say? Good question. They're going to answer, verse 14. And they, that's the disciples, that's just all of them, the totality, they said, here's what they say. That's interesting. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so that's what they say. You, know, you, got, you got all these opinions about Jesus, right? So all these opinions, you're just kind of floating around. You're going to ask the general person, what do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus? You're going to, all these different opinions, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, and, and they're all, all kind of different. Here's the deal, though, and I want to point this out. All of those opinions about Jesus that's given in the text, they are different, but they do have some common denominators within them. There's some common denominators, right? First, they all acknowledge that Jesus had to be supernatural, right? John the no, it got to be supernatural. John the Baptist, well, he's he dead. Elijah dead. Jeremiah dead. The prophet, they're all dead. He got to be supernatural. So they all disagreed exactly who he is, but they all knew that he was supernatural in some way. They all agreed that Jesus possessed some sort of power, that he was unique, that he was special. That was obvious. However, all those opinions differed on, or, or agreed on this as well. They did not believe he was the Messiah. They, they, they believed a lot of things about him. They just did not believe what he claimed to be, the Messiah. They could not deny that he was a prophet. They could not deny that he had supernatural power, but they would not accept that he was the thing that he said he was the Messiah. In other words, they got as, they got, they got, they got as close as they could without getting to the truth. Now, I'll submit this to you. That's not unlike today, right? I mean, if, if Jesus was here today, he goes, hey, 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 God, hey, God, hey, God, hey, God, hey, God, who do people say I am? We go out and walk the streets, whatever. I mean, who do you think Jesus is? You're going to get a lot of different opinions about Jesus, but they're going to, for the most part, have some commonalities to them. Some will say, I know, now I hear this. He's a teacher, good teacher, good teacher. He's a great example. He's a good model, whatever, all these different things. And I'll tell you right now, those are all good sentiments. But let me tell you right now, those sentiments about Jesus are not sufficient to save you. You know what I'm saying? He's the Messiah. When I was growing up, I don't know, maybe people say this now, but I used to say, I'm sure I got it somewhere, but hand grenade, what, what close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? And I'm telling you, with Jesus, it's... Close ain't going to get you there. Theologically close is not going to get you there. And that's a lot of people. And that's the general populace. That's what he said. These guys, this is the general populace. They say you're this. They say you're that. They say you're this, 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 this. All right. And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to make it personal. Look at verse 15. He said to them, once again, that's plural. He's talking to all the disciples. Who do you, Greek, who do you all say that I am. He's like, that's cool, man. That's cool what the general populace thinks about me. My question is, who do you say I am? That, my friend, is the question of all questions. I remember, I tell this story. I hope it's helpful. I've told it before. It's a short story. A guy stood before me. I hadn't really grown up in church and nothing like that. A guy stood before me in the church. I visited the church because they'd given some free hot dogs away. And he says, Basically, Travis, you're not awesome. And I'm like, the verdict's still out. I don't know. Need to talk about Jesus. 
God the Spirit saved me, and I knew right then who he was. Who do you think he is? Who do you? No, every one of you. Who, who, do, you, who, do, you, who do you think he is? Verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, that is the Messiah, that's the anointed one going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, that is the first prophecy about the Christ, you're him, the son of the living God. That's good, that's a good answer, that's a good answer. Now notice, now this is important, I want us to kind of see this, kind of pull this out, Peter is the one who responded. But I want, it's so important to read the text, understand the text. Peter is not just responding for himself. Remember, Jesus had been talking to all of them. Peter is the spokesman. And you see this over and over again in scripture. Peter's role was to articulate the consensus of the group. So the consensus of the group of disciples is what he is replying. And he's saying, we, we've all concluded concluded we have thought on we have seen we have prayed after careful analysis analysis we have concluded you are the Christ you are the son of the living God what a tremendous consensus to come to right decisive emphatic brief unqualified you're the Messiah Jesus and that there's the saving confession It is the saving confession for us individually, and it is the saving confession for the church collectively. In other words, you do not believe that. You do not confess that. Let me tell you right now, you are not a Christian. You're not. If you have not repented and believed, you're not a Christian. Therefore, you are not part of the church. The church is based on a confession, the Messiahship, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we see the saving confession we get to the second truth. We're building, we're building, we're building, we're getting somewhere, man. Second truth, the sovereign construction. The sovereign construction of the church, verse 17. And Jesus answered him, so he's gonna reply. Check it out. Blessed are you, Simon, bar, meaning son of Jonah. That's his daddy name in the flesh, Jonah, for, oh, come on, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Notice, church, it's here. It's in the text. It's in the Bible. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Jesus says to him and to us, this information about me did not come to you because of your humanness, not your reasoning. It's not your superior intellect. It's not your merit, it's not your calculation, and it is not your analysis. It is not your intuition, it is not your religious tradition. There is nothing in the realm of your humanness that could have revealed this to you. The Apostle Paul says this, no man calls Jesus Lord apart from God, the Spirit revealing him. God who does this. God does this. It's in the text over and over again. It's grace, man. Grace, ain't nobody going to be around puffing up. I'm so smart, I figured out God. No, you did not. No, you did not. It's all grace in and of ourselves. None of us are seeking Jesus. We don't want Jesus. We don't need to. Man, I remember, I I I walked in that church, get my free food. Didn't think I wasn't looking for Jesus. 
I was looking for some food, man, maybe some friends. By the grace of God, a man stood in front of me, told me about Jesus. Boom. By God's grace, I would say, I was saved. Jesus says here, Simon, son of Jonah, you could have never understood this on your own. Continuing, verse 18. Here we go. This is, this is, this is good stuff. Okay. Follow me here. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. The Greek word is petros, meaning a small stone. Okay. I tell you, you are small stone. On this rock, Greek word Petra, that means a rocky mountain or peak, okay? You're a small stone, but on this peak, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall will not prevail against it. I was like, oh, God, a lot going on there. Now, got some questions. Here's my first question. to me. I'm reading that. What is my question? What is exactly the Petra? What is the peak upon which Jesus is referring that he's going to build his church? Right? Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this Petra, this peak. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I have hold a firmly held belief. If you want the answer to a question, it's best to look at the text surrounding the text you're looking at. I'm going to look at this text. And if you stay in the text, if you follow the natural flow of the reading of the text, it's clear that Jesus is referring back to what he was just talking about. What was he just talking about? The confession. The confession. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. I believe that's what he's saying here. You are a Petra, small stone. Based upon the Petra, the peak, the confession that you've made, I am the Messiah. Upon that, I'm going to be building my church. As he says, it's a confession. And notice, I'll check this out. There's so much in there. There's so much. That, that second word, and I. I love that. I, who, I, Jesus, I will build my church. Who's the builder? Who's the builder of the church? Jesus. Jesus. I got to tell myself that Jesus is the builder of the church. I'm not responsible for building the church. You are not responsible for building the church. Who's going to build the church? Jesus. Jesus. That helps me sleep better at night, personally. I know, man, so much. You know, uh, my wife and I, many of you know this, but we were in East Africa nine years, um, you know, in a predominantly Islamic setting, and we were doing a church plant start thing, and I had the unbiblical notion that somehow I had to do a lot of work in order for the church to be successful. I was wrong. I was wrong. Repent of that. And I still have the tendency to think that if, if, if this service is going to grow, if this service is going to do all that God wants us to do, man, I got to be busy. I got to be doing, doing, doing. But Jesus said, no, 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 Travis, not you. Let me push in on this, guys. This may make some feel uncomfortable. There is no need to email me. Thank you. In our current political climate, people sometimes ask me something like this. Hey, Travis, what do you think is going to happen to the church 
if America continues to morally decay, right? If it goes south in America, what's going to happen to the church? My reply is always nothing, nothing. The church is not dependent upon the rise and fall of America. What does the text say? Jesus says, I, 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 I. If you think America will cause the church to grow, you have too high a view of America and too low a view of Jesus. The strength of the church and the building of the church has never been and never will be contingent upon a country. Never has been. Always contingent upon Jesus. He sovereignly constructs his church. Third truth. Staying, we're going to stay in verse 18, and we're going to see the spiritual composition of the church. Jesus building this church. Jesus building this church. What is the composition of the church? Once again, go back to verse 18, um, the last part. I will build my church, and, now not, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's exactly what I want to pull out. This word church, the word church, ecclesia, did you know this is the first time that word is used in the New Testament? Now, it's not like it was an uncommon word at that time. Now, it was a word, everybody knew the word, everybody knew what an ecclesia was. This is the first time that someone's actually applied it to the people of God. An ecclesia was a group of citizens gathered together for a specific reason. Jesus takes that word that's never been used in this way and he applies it to his people. Remember the church, I've said it many times, not a building. This building is not a church. This building is what I would call a sheep shed. This is the sheep shed, not the church. The church is the people who make the confession and gather to worship Jesus. Now, once again, don't email, email me about this because I'm, I'm, I'm about to say, you know, talk about something that some of you may hold pretty sacred and I just am going to tell you. Do you, remember the, do you remember the song, some of you, the song? This is the church. What's this? Steeple, open it up, and what's all this? That is theologically incorrect. You know what I'm saying? According to this verse... This is the sheep shed. This is a steeple. I don't know what steeple. We got a steeple. We put a cross up. That's good. That's the church, man. I dared the church. That's the church. I mean, if you're going to teach bad theology, why not start with little people? You know what I'm saying? I don't know what the deal is. Anyway, who are these people? Who are these people? Well, the Bible says... They're living stones. Peter says they're living stones. That's the composition of the church. They're not dead stones. They're living stones. And the foundation is the Lord Jesus. Now, check this out. I want you to follow me here. Here's what I'm thinking. These stones, Jesus takes them, and he, he saves them. He causes them to be living stones. And then Jesus takes the living stones and he places the living stones exactly where he wants to place them. The builder always places the stones where the builder wants the stones to be. Right? All right. We got a little bit of a problem. I was thinking about this. We here, if you're a Christian, 
you're a living stone, but here's what I do know about you. You are an imperfect stone, right? I'm looking at all of us, man, we're not similar. We're not uniform. We're all different. I'm going to tell you something you already know, but some of us are a little bit rougher than some of the other of us. And some of us have bumps. Some of us have cracks. Some of us have cavities. Some of us have chips. We're in, we're, 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 come on, we're we a messed up bunch of living stones. Now, here's the deal. We're not uniform. We're not a uniform bunch of living stones. Here's the deal. I'm not a builder, but I have seen things built, and I know this. If you're going to build a house, you're going to build a brick house, it is important to have uniform bricks, right? You're going to go, you, get, you, want, you want the same size, you want the same shape. You, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna build. You want, you want to have uniformity, but we're looking at us. We are not a uniform group. Here's my question. How, how are you going to take a bunch of, I don't know, dissimilar living stones and construct a church out of it, right? You're going to need some pretty strong mortar, right? You're going to need some pretty strong cement, right? And we got that in Jesus. We do. Church, check it. No, 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 check it. You got, I got somebody, I don't know, some of you, I'm not going to point out any of you, but some of you maybe, you just use the living stone and you got a big old divot in you. I don't know what that divot is. And you got another flat stone over here. I don't know who this is. Maybe it's me, but you're kind of rough. And Jesus says, I'll save both of you. You done made that confession. I'm going to bring you together. I'm going to build a church with both of you. And you're like, this one's rough. This one got a big old divot. How you going to get them to stick together? You're going to have to take some Jesus and apply it liberally, right? When you take Jesus, you put Jesus up in the divot. You got that, you got that, you got that rough stone, all that rough stone. You know, the neat, rough stones, man, in real life, man, they can kind of hold that cement. I don't know, you're going to just slap that cement Jesus on there, and you're going to put them together. Church, we have to liberally distribute the mortar Jesus upon one another. You see, God is building the church, and he's using these living stones that no rational builder would use because they all messed up. Ain't none of us looking the same. We got cracks, we got bumps, some of us are lost. Well, that doesn't matter. He said, I'm building my church, and I'm using these living stones, and when it is built, no man will say, look what I did, because no man did it. All the glory of Jesus. Keep moving. Fourth truth. The singular commission of the church. Verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pause there. Got some keys here. What are the keys? What are the keys to heaven? Quite simply, the keys are the gospel. It's the gospel. Salvation. And what is he saying? He goes, I'm going to give keys. Who gets the keys? Those who made the confession, those who are the living stones, those who are a part of the church. You get the keys, the keys to heaven, the gospel. You tell people about this, this will get them into heaven if they repent and they believe, right? Right? Problem is, some of us not using the keys. You know what I mean? We're not using the keys. And here's the deal. Jesus says only the church gets the keys. Only Christians get the keys. Do you guys realize by the grace of God, our church does a lot of things? And we should, 
right? We should do a lot of things. We need to serve, we need to feed, we need to do all this stuff. But the only thing our church or any church does that no other entity does is proclaim the person and works of Jesus. That's the only unique thing we do. Like almost every ministry we do, there is another worldly ministry doing the same thing Honestly, they might even be doing it better because they got funds from different, it doesn't matter, man. The only thing, Jesus said, that's the keys and I give it to you and I want you to use it. Keep going, the last half of 19. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, that's a complicated text, not really, but a lot, in my opinion, but if you stay in the text, it's not that complicated, but uh, there's a lot of different opinions on this. Some of you may disagree with my opinion, and that's okay because we love one another. If you disagree with what I'm saying here, just throw some more mortar on me, okay? Because we're going to still be cool, all right? We're good. We're good. But I think if you stay in the immediate context of what Jesus is talking about, we can get an understanding. This does not mean that we get to tell heaven what to do, and some people believe that. That's not what this means. Whatever doesn't mean that. I believe it means whatever has been bound in heaven has been bound on earth. Whatever has been loosed in heaven has been loosed on earth. And so what's been bound, here's the question, what's been bound, what's been loosed? Jesus tells us multiple places, but specifically that the strong man has been bound. Who's the strong man? Satan, at least in part, he's been bound. He has some limitations, right? And what's been loosed? Read the book of Acts, God the Spirit. God the Spirit has been loosed. I think Jesus is simply saying, guys, Satan's been bound, at least partially. He will be eternally bound in a time to come. I have given you and loosed God the Spirit, and I've given you the keys. Get to work. Get to work. Get to work, man. That's, that's a commission. That's a commission. That's a commission. Satan's been bound, God's spirit's been loosed, I've given you the keys, go tell everyone, individually and collectively. Fifth truth, the settled consummation of the church. Go back to verse 18, last part, because this one, another gets good stuff, man. I want to understand it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right. Beautiful, but I want to understand it correctly. First question, I work this backwards. First question is prevail against it. What's the it? Staying in the text, the it is the church. More specifically, the living stones. More, most specifically, those who have confessed, repented, made the confession. That's the it, okay? What will not prevail against them? We're told the gates of hell. What are the gates of hell? Hell here in the Greek is the word Hades and it means the abode of the dead, all right? So it could be read this way. The gates of the abode of the dead will not prevail against those who have made the confession and gathered church. That's what what it's saying here, all right? So what does that mean? There's a lot of different options. You're free to choose whichever one you think. I'll tell you, I don't think he's saying this is the church, here's a big old wall, we're all scared behind it, Satan can't get in there. I don't think he's saying that Satan is on the defense and we're on the offense. 
I don't think he's saying we're going to invade hell and take over hell because what would we want to do with hell? I don't think that's what he's saying. I do think he's saying this, maybe other things, but specifically this, and he said it many times, many, many times. Because of your faith in me, living stones, the abode of the death, of the, of the dead, death, has no victory over you. I believe this is a promise of life after death, Christian. Death cannot contain us. Scripture says to be apart for the Christian here to leave this earth is to be with God immediately. I believe that's what we're talking about here. I don't believe he's saying something necessarily new, but I think he is saying, man, faith in me. Make the text, the totality of it, the questions asked, you read it through. Most natural reading to me is, I'm talking about the resurrected life. Christian, death has no sting. That's what he's saying. So, Five truths about the church. Church, How important is it? How important is it? How important is the gathering of the saints? It's a bride of Christ. Christ died for the church. Christ loves the church. God's number one desire for everyone here or listening or watching is to repent and believe. Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins. If you repent and believe, he will save you. How do you know that, Travis? Because he saved me. Second, if he saves you, he desires for you to be an active participant in a local New Testament church. That's how important it is. Jesus built it. His desire is for us to be a people who hold it in high esteem because he does. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these five truths. I pray that we would be a people that let it sink deeply, that we would love the church as you love the church. It is imperfect. It is not perfect. We know that. But you love it. And I am so grateful that you love things that are not perfect because I am far from it. I pray we'd be a people who apply grace liberally to one another, that we would be committed to the local church, that we'd be committed to a local service, that we'd be committed to a local people, that we would serve, that we'd commit, that we would attend, that we would encourage, that we would pray for. And we ask this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus, the Christ. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. 
So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.